Anyway, two weeks ago, what I wanted to go to, and I hope it's not too redundant, um, uh, two weeks ago, Daryl, in the sermon talking about the feast and things on the feast, uh, made a comment about fellowship. And I have never, myself, thought of it in the way that Daryl brought that out. How, at the feast, we fellowship there with God. So I was, well, I was there in Florida and, and uh, was thinking about, about this. And, you know, when I would go to one of the children's houses or had several friends, a friend that's in United there in uh, Fort Myers, and go to his house, you spend the time with people and uh, you really get involved with them. Uh, I was thinking... Sometimes we get together, maybe uh, someone will come by your house or my house or somebody's house anyway, and say we had the TV on. Did you ever try to fellowship with someone at their home with the TV on? It's pretty difficult because you're, you have your mind so wrapped up maybe in the make-believe uh, life that's going on uh, on the TV and you're only kind of halfway listening, halfway involved with the people and in reality what you are, you're not fellowshipping with the people you're fellowshipping with the TV you go to the movies uh, say five or six of you decide to go I know not too long back my second daughter from, who lives in Vegas came by wanted to go to the movies. We, what fellowship did we have? Well, watch the movies. But as far as communication line, as far as sharing our lives one with another, it's not there. So, it's important to me to realize that when Daryl brought that out, that when we're at the feast, it is there to fellowship with our Creator our God. And I was thinking back of reminiscing, I guess, back in <clears throat> the old worldwide days. Much of the time that uh, I spent in St. Pete, I was either an usher or on security or uh, maybe in the uh, communications line anyway. And when I was on security in Eicher, it was always frustrating to me to see, first of all, during the sermon, during the time when we're supposed to be at the feast, celebrating the feast, relationship with God, and I find sometimes in St. Pete where we had anywhere from eight to 15,000 people, three to 400 people in the hallway. And on security, you wanted to be in the service listening to the message, but you had to walk the halls. And so many times you see people were just having a conversation about what they're going to do, I guess. It certainly wasn't about sermon. So here's a group of people that I've noticed had 
say just fellowship themselves from God because they certainly were not fellowshipping with God when he's there to bring a message to teach each one of us um, his wife. So there are times when we have to disfellowship people. Can't kick them out of church, maybe, but we can ask them not to fellowship with us for the purpose of letting them see that the important thing is not outside God's way of life, but there with God. So we see that many people were not spending the time with God and fellowshipping with God as God intended. You know, my wife pointed out something to me here uh, on this trip. Well, maybe it was just before the trip, and she wrote up a little thing about it. That when when worldwide was getting was going good, we noticed that God gave us Pasadena. He gave the church a beautiful place. Those properties were just about given to us. And then we had Big Sandy, a place where we could house or, or have a feast with 150,000 people in hell. And uh, that was literally given to us. We had Bricked Wood. But then, over the years, as we became Laodicean, as we became to get so intent in other things, what happened? All that was taken away from us. God stripped it away. Took it out of our, our reach. Now we have an opportunity again at Anatoth that God's given us property. And are we going to spend that kind of time with God and be thankful that He's given us all those things? So as I look back at what Daryl said, the fellowship of our fellowship should be at the feast with God. That should be the primary function. So I look at the years that in past uh, in Big Sand or Fort Myers, where I was the festival advisor for the many years I was there, and I wondered back what was our original motivation. We would start preparing for the Feast of Tabernacles in the spring, right around the spring holy day. And in many cases, and I'm not saying this to everybody, I'm going to talk generalities now, because I know that there are many people that function on being with God. But in generalities, one of the things that people were doing was to see how much funds they would have for the coming year. Well, if I had this much funds, I could, I could go to the Middle East. And I could see all those things that's there in the Middle East, the Holy Sepulcher and the uh, Wailing Wall, or maybe go up to uh, some of the places of, the, of what we call the Mail Run. We'd go see the Temple of Isis or the Temple of Diana or all these things. Well, let me ask you something. Is that fellowshipping with God? Oh, it's nice to see that. But we... we looked at how much money I would have. Maybe it was because I've never been able to have a cruise. So I've got all this extra second time. And what I'm going to do then is take this cruise. 
So was the motivation to seek God or seek our own ways? Let's go to John, First John. First John, chapter 2, verse 15. Because this seems to be a motivation that the church has had for years. It says, love not the world. Well, what was preparation for the feast for all those years? Christ said, through John, not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. So we look for St. Pete, so we could be close to Bush Gardens, Disney World, uh, Sea World, uh, I don't know how many other things are out there. Or we want to go to Branson, or we want to go to uh, Anaheim, or wherever there was a lot of entertainment. And yet, God inspired John to write Love, not the world. And yet we spent so much money and so much time to get close to the world. And if any man, Christ said through John, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How often did we think about that? Did we focus our attention on that point? That the things of this world, the entertainment, and that was something else at the Feast of Tabernacles. That I just didn't know how to handle it at times. That during the last song and the closing prayer, people were exiting the building by the hundreds. Wanted to be the first to the car. They seemed to be the last to get to services and the first to leave. And I know there were some men that were on parking details that, yes, they had to, to try to rush out and get in the position because there's so many other people trying to leave at the same time. But did we think about that? Did we grasp the fact that we were not really loving God? It goes on in verse 16, For all that's in the world, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's something to think about that as we approach the feast this year. Is our desire for the world, for the entertainment, for the things around, is that the most important thing of our life? Shouldn't be. Let's turn back to a few pages here to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Here I want to begin in verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and enticed, wanting nothing, having patience for the things that God's going to give to us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So here's a place that's telling us that our requests, which then become a fellowship or a contact with God, should be to Him. That gives to all 
men deliberate and abrades not or doesn't keep it back and lets it and it shall be given to him. So what we do is it's telling us that our fellowship must be toward God to seek him. But we're so tied to the world that here in James chapter 4, James chapter 4 verse 1, says, From from whence comes war and fighting among you? Come not, it hence even from the lust that war in your members. So we find people having difficulties one with another. We find battles going on. Not because they've contacted God who will give to them everything they need, but we want to get it for ourselves. So often Mr. Armstrong used to talk about that. We'd say there was two distinct ways of life. The way of give and the way of get. Here in James 4 verse 1 talks of the way of get. What does it? This, this desire to have everything that we don't are not needing. Verse 2, yes, lust, and have you lust and have not? No, you, you want it. Would it be all you can see, all you can consume, or to be the top dog? So you lust and have not, and you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and yet you have not, because you ask not. Because we didn't go to the Father and seek His help. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. You ask with the wrong attitude that you may consume it upon your own lust. Hold uh, hold your place there and go to 1 Peter 5. I'll come back here a second. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. For here we're told to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You cannot do that if you're not seeking God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that you may, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Do you think of a father that really loves his children? He's telling you to come to me, spend time with me. I'm going to give you everything. But no, we want to get it for ourselves, don't we? We want to bust and desire to have. Back here, James 4 again. James 4 again, verse 4. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses. How do we get that way? Because we get so entangled, if we go to, say, the Middle East, and we want to go in there and see all these sites, maybe go to Petra or go out to the um, uh, Mediterranean Sea. And I, when I think of that, I think of a sermon Darrell did, talked about being over there and how disgusting it was the way those people live and everything that was wrong with that area. And yet here we are, wanting to go out there. You adulterers and adulteresses. We adulterated ourselves with the world. 
with our lusts and desires. Know you not that the friendship of the world is an enemy with God? Maybe we need to focus more on the fact that if our friendship is with the world, it's not with God. Whatsoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I certainly don't want to be called an enemy of God. I don't think you do. So our thoughts and our actions then should be focused toward doing what the Creator wants. Remember back in Matthew 6.33, Christ speaking there, said, Seek you first the kingdom of God. That's the first thing that we should be doing. So when we go to the Feast of Tabernacles, what are we seeking first? How many times have we thought something other than God first? Because we look for the pleasures of this world. My wife pointed out to me, and we went to Big Sandy for the time that we became part of the. God opened our understanding and brought us in the church. Until one year, we decided we'd go to Big to uh, St. Pete. She pointed out, why did we go? Well, to go to the feast, but also to see if it was possible to move back to Florida. So yes, we had a wrong motivation. We, we didn't have God as the first priority to go to the feast. So, your God says, if that's your motivation, you're an enemy of God. We don't want to be called the enemy of God. Verse 5, do you think that the Scripture said in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? Isn't that what our... Our, the Spirit of God? Is it the lust of the envy thing? Is it after the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes? But He gives more grace. Wherefore, He said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need to be humble. Humbling ourselves in front of our Creator God. Verse 7, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we have to start focusing on our attention, on doing it the things the way that God wants them done. Not the way we want to do it. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, be double-minded. Sometimes our minds are set on the pleasures of life. Yes, I know, back in Deuteronomy, we're told to save our tithes, and if it's too much, if we can't, if the way is too far, and we can't carry 15 cows or three barrels of honey as I had one year for the feast, or maybe it was four barrels of honey, you know, that's 600 pounds a barrel, wouldn't the wife carry it? He said, you can sell it, Take money in your hot little hands and go out there to the feast and buy the things that will help you to enjoy the feast. But is it to enjoy the feast in a way that you can honor God? That becomes a question. Second, or First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 
chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. Huh. Think of that. We have been selected. God says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of the darkness into the marvels of life. We're to come out from that way of life. We're to come out to worship our Creator, our God, to do things in a way that will bring honor and praise to Him. Which in times past, you know, so here we were, people in times past, were not a people, but now the people of God, a selected group, which have not obtained mercy before, but now have obtained mercy. And we not really blessed with the knowledge and understanding that God keeps pouring out on us on a, on a weekly basis. We go to the feast, expect to be fed a lot more spiritual food. That's the point that God wants us to get. What should we do then? As we look forward to the feast, we should have done this from last the perception or, or in the, the conclusion of last feast, and certainly by Passover time, what should we have been doing in preparation for the coming year? What is the key scripture that we should use, a focal point that we should put in our mind for the coming feast? I think of one scripture that and pointed out to us back in the Minor Prophets in the book just before Malachi. Key scripture. Something that should be the focal point of all feast preparation. As we come closer, it should even be forward more so in our mind. That's in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 16. Here he's talking about the future. Talking about a time when this system that we live in is going to be done away. It says, It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations that come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to what? They are told they're going to come to the feast to worship the king the Lord of hosts and to keep his feast. So that should be our focal point. That should be where we start from. That should be the first thing in our mind. We are going to worship the king. We're going up to God's place where he's selected, where he's chosen to worship our God. We're going to have an opportunity that's what we should be thinking about is a close connection with Christ and with the Father with Emmanuel God with us will he be with us will we be seeking his help and guidance a close communication line with the Father we have 
an opportunity. I know in times past at Big Sandy, we have two services every day, and on night before a holy day, we'd have a Bible study, so we'd have sometimes three services. And I know that what happens is you get, you get so much information, you get bogged down. But again, I want to go back and say, when we have a, a TV on or a movie or, or doing something, we give our all in there. Sometimes we can watch a movie for two hours, not get bored, not get sleepy. But we're just so intent and involved in that. But at the feast, or at a Sabbath service, we get tired sometimes. We didn't get a night's sleep. We get bogged down. We close our eyes. We miss parts here and there because we're not really connected with God. And yet the men that are doing the speaking, whether it be a sermonette or a sermon, they've put a lot of time in it. They've asked God to guide their mind. And so we sometimes think, and I know I've heard these comments in times past, hopefully not anymore, but in times past, in knowing human nature, we sit out there, well, this guy's not, he's not the greatest speaker. And I've heard it said, well, old Nelson's giving a sermon, we can go, we don't have to be there. Or this other person doing a sermonette, and that's okay. We, we've heard that before. All we want to do is hear Daryl. I mean, I've heard that. And, and uh, is that telling God you don't want to fellowship with Him? He sent the ones to do the speaking. They've got on their knees. They've asked God to guide their thoughts. And what's coming out is a communication from God. I know I do sermons, I do sermonettes, I sometimes have a lot of notes. And many times, things come out that I didn't have down. And I'm sure that when Daryl does it, or Gordon, or Terry, or Bill, that things come through their minds while they speak. I think it's God saying to us, I know he says it to me because I say things that I need to help on. And to say, make it change. Find out what's going on. Listen. Listen to what I have to say. So we have sermons to bring us into the communication line with God, to have Him speak to us in a way of something that we need to do, because He's whole intent, Father's whole intent is to have a family. And He's selected a pattern on how to do it, to start with 144,000, and then they're going to have children. And then there'll be others come along. Will be the first group of children and the second group of children, and however he works it, you know, we don't know. We like to maybe guess at it. Like I watched the uh, Science Channel, and they're talking about the black holes and how these things suck everything up, and they're and and they want to find out more and more and more about those things, and yet. We don't want to find out more and more and more about God and what He's done. Even all these scientific things, which are great, they're fantastic to know those things, but you know we can't even get to the closest planet at this point in time. It's 
at least two years of food preparation to get to Mars and back. Have to have all that oxygen. How are we going to do that? All the water that takes to keep a human alive? We don't. We haven't come to the point. Go back there, as it said before. Why are there wars and fighting? Because we haven't spent the time with the Father to find out why we fight. Because we lust. Because we're not willing to make a change. So God gives us sermons, and that's the feast. That's an opportunity for each one of us to learn about God, have God correct us at times, and encourage us at times, and to spend time with the Father. Let's go to 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to, uh, get it here, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here I want to begin in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, Paul was saying, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So he said, I didn't come out here to be as a great orator, as a charismatic man who can capture the minds and thoughts of so many people. No. He said, I didn't come out here to do that. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So there's a lot of people that hear preaching and, and you know, science, a lot of scientific people, a lot of the governments now think it's foolishness. We're teaching that in the in the classrooms. It's foolishness to have preaching. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. God's power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the fruit. So he didn't call us. We know in back in first three, a little farther on it says what we are. We're not the wise, the mighty, and the great, but we are the meek, humble, the scrapings in the barrel, probably. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Did he not make that foolish? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So he gives us preachers who to most of the world are just foolishness because they have nothing but a book, the Bible, which is the most publicized book in the world. There's more Bibles in this world than any other single book. Yet, don't believe it. How many times do we remember back, those of us that are older, remember Herbert Armstrong, and saying, get your Bible out. Blow the dust off it. Why would he have to say, blow the dust off your Bibles? Primarily because we weren't opening them. 
we weren't radio. And the church today still has a difficulty because they have their own ideas. For the Jew requires a sign. And the Greek seeks after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks who During the days of Christ, it was a stumbling block. He told them, of the scriptures, you know, you read all the scriptures, Jeremiah, the Psalms, all those talk of me. But they didn't believe it. Probably still don't believe it. But unto them which are called, both Greek or Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So God has taken a time to spend time to teach us. The Feast of Tabernacles should be our communication line with God. It should be the time which we seek God, seek His help, seek the understanding. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's Paul speaking to people at Philippi. Verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy. So if there's any fellowship of this, any fellowship with God, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. How can we do that? How can we be of one accord in one mind? If we're not there to learn God's way. Spending the time with Christ, with the Father, and those that He's here. So one accord, one mind. And let nothing, nothing that we do, anything that we accomplish, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So, he's kind of given us correction. He said, you be there, not because you're warring and fighting, and I can think back in times past, people were fighting at the feast. But in lowliness of mind, that each esteem the other better than themselves. How many times do we esteem ourselves better than others? Not and it says we shouldn't do that, but we do that. We think, I ought to be the one doing that. I'm better than the other guy. But that's not what God has told us to do. Let's go now to John, First John again. First John, chapter 1. First John, chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the world of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. So they're writing. So we were there with him, John said. We talked with him. We saw the things he was able to do. We, we handled him and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father 
and was manifested to us. And here was the one that was with the Father that did the creation. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. So God uses people to declare these things unto all of us. That which we've seen, that which we've heard, we declare unto unto the people. So he uses preaching. The foolishness of preaching to declare these things to each one of us. That you also may have fellowship with us. To have fellowship with those that are speaking with the apostles, with those that God has selected. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Emmanuel, the Christ. How important is that to us? To recognize that we are going to have fellowship with Christ and the Father. If, verse 6, we, if we say that we have fellowship with Christ, with Emmanuel, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. How do we walk? What did we say back there earlier? What is the motivation? What is the most important point of the whole thing? Is it not to uh, spend time to worship the King, the Lord of hosts? Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 16. Here we're told in verse, start in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspect, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. Talking about this day and time. And if we're to redeem the time, then our whole motivation should be out there to worship the king, to have fellowship with the king as we were just shown there, John. To worship God, the king, the Lord of hosts. First Corinthians, first chapter 1. This is all in the line of worshiping the king. The whole point here is what should we be doing? What should be the motivation to get us to the feast? should be the number one thing. Zechariah 14. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Emmanuel of Christ, our Lord. So God is thankful. He's called us, he says, through John, and he called us to be in a fellowship relationship with him, to be close to him, to do things his way. So in Amos we're told, Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? Now, how do you do that? You, you, you have a difficulty if you try to be walking together and you don't agree with God. It's a difficulty, isn't it? So how can we then walk together if we're not fellowshipping with God? If we don't come to learn what it is that God expects us to have? difficulty, isn't it? 
First uh, Corinthians. No, sorry, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter six. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? So if we're set out to go to the feast, Israel, uh, maybe to uh, St. Pete or to Orlando, and we're going to spend most of that time, it says, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? There is no no way. But if our thoughts are to keep the feast in pleasure of this world, we're in darkness. And what accord has Christ with Baal? Speaking of those that want to go see these temples, so we read the Bible, we read in Acts, where they Paul went to all these different places. So we want to go see those places. And what do we see? Again, the Temple of Isis. We go to Petra and see uh, great carvings that these people had. But I've read spots where it says those were pagan temples. And I can't feature having our Creator with his back to those temples, us in front of them, and he teaches us, and we're looking at those edifices here that are pagan. Or maybe the other way around. Our backs are to them and he's looking at them. I can't feature that happening. So he says, what accord has it? Or what part has the believer with the infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? On the way, on this trip, my wife and I have gone through, I think, uh, three or four, four or five of the temple series talking about the temple of God tremendous sermon and it gives you a good life we also listen to some of the uh, talk that uh, I think his name Steve Collins in his book Ten Lost Tribes there were parts there you know I sat there I listened to that that speech I went back over there and I get a bigger picture of what God's doing. Sometimes we don't listen or hear everything all the time that we maybe we should have. So he says, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How do we walk with God as Amos 3 said, if we don't agree with him. And here he said, he walks in us. And how can we walk in God and be a participant of the world feast when he wants to be with us? He wants to show us his way. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you and will be a father among you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the eternal God. That's what we want. 
We want to draw close to Him. We want to be a part of what He's doing. Sometimes we have to say, well, God hasn't come down and talked to me. Has, has He talked to you? Well, if you go to Sabbath services, if you go to the feast with the right mind, the right intent, that we're coming to worship the King and let Him tell us the things that we need to know and understand, yes. We are fellowshipping with God. In Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And here, we're given uh, a key to how we fellowship with God. And we've gone over this in different areas and different times. But how can we say we're fellowshipping with God? Go back to starting 34. Matthew 25, 34. It says, Then the king shall say unto uh, them on his right hand, Come you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he's offering to those that are close contact with him. For I was a hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came unto me. When did we see Christ that way? Have we ever been in that case, in that scenario, where we've seen Christ in that frame, that way? Verse 37. Then shall the right, uh, righteous answer and say, Lord... When saw we you hunger and fed you and thirsty and gave you drink? And when saw we you stranger and took you in and naked and clothed you? Or when saw we you sick and in prison and came to you? Have you ever done that? You know we come to the feast? Sure, there's a group of us that's out there all the time. and We try to be as close as we can. Maybe not as close as we ought to be. When there are people coming to the feast now that are not there every week, are we going to take them in? Are we going to befriend them? Are we going to help them? Are we going to strive to teach them to be, you know, help them by fellowshipping with them? Not with a TV, not with a movie, but with them. Geared up to doing it in a way that will bring, you know, honor and praise to God. Verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. In other words, he's saying to us, if we're taking the time to fellowship with those that he selected, we're fellowshipping with him. We're taking the time to be close to God, we've learned that we are the temple and God's Spirit dwelling in us. So if we're taking that time, then we are fellowshipping with Christ. Go back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First part talking about the feast and things. 
agak turun agak-agak turun bersih well as I got that chapter verse 20 and I don't think it's 20 verses next <laughs> maybe it's 2nd Corinthians let me look here Corinthians 10.20. That's what I wanted. 1 Corinthians 10. We get there. 10. Okay. Yeah, I was in the wrong page. Couldn't figure out that. You just got new glasses. I guess we're going to get another pair. A magnifying glass. I think with Mr. Armstrong so many of the times he'd come out there with Big letters in the card and the magnifying glass. I guess it's going to have to happen here. Verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they, they sacrifice the devil and not the God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with the devil. So, again, you can't go out and spend the time in the world on the feast days and think that you're fellowshipping with God. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of the, of the devil. And you cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of the devil. Yes, I know this is talking about passing. But also, it's talking about our daily life. And specifically, at the feast, you can't spend the time in the world and not spend the time with those that God has selected and called to do the job and given us to do. So we need to fellowship them. We need to be at services. We need to be alert and awake at services. Remember what happened at Paul? At Paul, when I think back on being alert and awake at service, Paul was leaving the place he was in. And he had the people there. He knew he only had a short period of time to be And what did he do? He spoke till midnight. These people were so intent, for the most part, that they were alert. All but the one kid who fell out of the roof. But these people wanted to be there. I think back when Gerald Waterhouse used to come in. You know, he'd speak for four hours. And many of the times, we were alert through the whole time. Why is it now that we get tired? It's difficult to stay awake and alert for the feast, you know, for a sermon during the feast day. Or maybe our minds are focused on other things than worshiping the Creator God. If we're there and striving to be taught, to learn everything possible, to be close to God, to fellowship with God. You would not, this time, get an audience with the president of this country or any country and go in there and he's speaking to you and you went to sleep. They'd probably call you out. In some areas, some countries, they'd probably shoot you. Because you were not intent on hearing what God wanted or what the, the 
leader of that country wanted you to hear. So why is it that we become so weary of hearing sermons when the people that are doing these things have spent a lot of time in preparation to follow and to get us to have fellowship with our Creator? Second Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Fellowshipping with each other is fellowshipping with God. And makes it possible at the feast to do that. Second Corinthians 8, verse 4. Praying us with much intensity that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry and the saints. So, well, he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He wants us to take part in the things that he has set in front of us. Go to one more place here in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So here we're told that we're supposed to. By fellowshipping with God, we should be coming to that point to also be close enough to fellowship in his suffering, being made comfortable unto his death, conformable to his death. So we are to fellowship with Christ all the way to the end of our life. That's the important area of our life, the things that we should be doing. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Then they that they gladly received his word were baptized. So here, here's a group of people that Peter was speaking to. A powerful sermon. So powerful it turned their minds. It turned them to see, I've got to make a change in my life. They were gladly, they were baptized. And the same day, there were added to the church about 3,000. And they communed steadfastly with the apostles' doctrine and fellowshipping and breaking of bread and prayer. This at the time. You know, it was important. They were so intent on hearing and listening to those that were teaching. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles because they were involved in fellowship with God. And all that believed were together and had all the, uh, all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men of every, uh, every man in his need. So they spent the time. They were so concerned about doing it God's way. Go to Ephesians now. Back to Ephesians. We are to fellowship with each other. And the feast makes it very possible. 
that in that fellowshipping that we have at the feast with each other is then a fellowship with Christ. Matthew pointed out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. We're not strangers. It says here we are fellow citizens. And so we should have a lot of enjoyment with each other. And I think back so many times after services are over there at Anatoff that, you know, we have a potluck or a, a lunch or, or brunch or whatever you call it between lunch and uh, sermon and, and end, that we get so intent in spend, spending time with each other. And I've seen it last, in some cases, to 7 o'clock at night. And most of the time, uh, there are a lot of people hanging around till maybe 4.30 or 5 o'clock. So we want a fellowship together. And that fellowship, then, is in relationship to God and to Christ. Another thing that I wanted to bring out in that aspect of fellowshipping with uh, God and Christ is in the time we have an opportunity to sing. I wonder sometimes why we can't raise the roof when we when we have fellowship one with another. Sometimes we think, well, I haven't got the greatest voice. I'm not the greatest singer. Uh, nobody wants to hear me. Or maybe we're bashful and we hold back. Well, as a song leader, we look out there as a song leader, we see those that sing and those that don't. And I enjoy, there's a couple that really, they really sung out and helped keep song leader in, in line, I guess you could say. But why are, we, why are we bashful sometimes that we don't want to sing out? Look at Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Are you ready to sing? The angels are going to listen. God's going to listen. And you're going to have a new song. Why, why are we bashful at Sabbath services? We're singing to God. So that's where we should be focusing our intent on. So we have an opportunity to spend the time with God in Christ. And certainly the Feast of Tabernacle is that time which we should be doing more effort and more energy to doing that. We have a feast coming up very soon now. Uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And, you know, even at the Day of Atonement, 
sometimes we say, well, boy, it's a hard day. But it, to me, the Day of Atonement is a beautiful time because it represents uh, the marriage of the Lamb to his wife. And these people are going to sing. And only those that are ready to be a part of that will be there. So, are you spending the time with God? Is that the important area of your life? Let's look at another scripture here in Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul speaking here in Galatians 2, 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I uh, now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Why shouldn't we want to be alert and awake? Why shouldn't we want to be at the feast to learn more of our Creator who gave his life for us? I do not frustrate the grace of God, for righteousness came by the law, then Christ uh, is dead in vain. If it didn't come, Christ died in vain. But did he die in vain? Did he die for you in vain? No. We have to spend the time and have a great opportunity to, first of all, focus on the number one key. That's Zechariah 14, 16, says, Worship the King, the Lord of hosts. Our fellowship should be with Christ. Our fellowship should be with the King. Our fellowship should be in a line with Him. And to be there, to be energized, to be alert and awake, and not to think, well, there's a boring sermon again, or I've heard that one, or oh, that sermon that's too long, or that one's too short, or that sermon was way too long, or why couldn't he speak some more? We, we find all kinds of complaints. Israel complained from the time they got out of Egypt after God re relieved them. They complained and complained and complained. They could never find anything great. They really didn't want a fellowship with Him. Do you want a fellowship with Christ? Do you plan to go to the feast with the one key factor that's to come closer to Christ? You're going to have sermons, you're going to have sermonettes. They are there to help us to have that kind of relationship with God. We're going to have fellowship in time with each other. Again, as Christ said in Matthew 25, we are fellowshipping with each other and in doing so because we are the temple. Christ lives in us. And we are fellowshipping with Christ. So, where are you going to put your life this feast? It's going to be in some place where you have all the entertainment, but you don't have God. Or are you going to come to a place where God has set his name, where he's selected, not you, and he's going to teach you, he's going to fellowship with you, and you're going to become stronger and in the future be a part 
of the Bride of Christ. I look forward to the feast and to seeing all of you in the sermon.